This is episode number 242 of the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to eliminate public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Hey, welcome to Fearless Presentations. I'm Doug Stannard, CEO of the Leaders Institute, and my goal is to help you become a fearless and confident speaker and presenter. Last week, I began a two-part series on the step-by-step process that I went through to overcome public speaking fear when I was pretty young, but I I covered the first four life lessons that I learned to kind of help me get there. And most of the tips that I covered in last week were things that I learned really early in life that... um, Help me have the right focus when I experienced that, that fear for the first time, that first failure, that total flop that I had in front of a group. And so those early things that I learned helped me deal with that differently than what most people do. And so those things are pretty important. Uh, this week, I'm going to give you the three things, though, that you can do if you've already made that decision to get better as a public speaker, or actually, you can use this help you get better in any skill for that matter, Um, anything that you're kind of struggling with. Before we get to the content, though, the episode is brought to you by fearlesspresentations.com. So if you're looking for a faster way to reduce public speaking fear or become a more persuasive speaker, we've got two-day public speaking classes coming up in cities like St. Louis, Minneapolis, Salt Lake City, Phoenix, Houston, Baltimore, San Francisco, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, Orlando, New York, Dallas, and Atlanta. By the way, we've got our full schedule of classes back for the first time since the pandemic. We're teaching classes in every one of the cities that we were teaching before the pandemic hit. So uh, between you and I, there's been a huge, huge demand for seats right now, just especially in the last three, four, five weeks or so. So if you want to attend any of the classes that I mentioned, make sure and go to fearlesspresentations.com to save a seat uh, in the class that you're interested in, because once those seats are full, you'll have to wait another two, three, four months sometimes before another class will roll around again in that particular location. All right, so let's get on with today's lesson. So this week, I'm covering part two of a two-part series on how I overcame my fear of public speaking and how you can do it too, by the way. So last week, just to kind of give you a quick little recap, I gave you four life lessons that I learned along the way that helped me, that that led me anyway, to overcoming public speaking fear. The first one that I mentioned was how I had this miserable failure in front of a group and used that as a catalyst to find ways to improve. However, the other three, and I backed up because the other three, the three that I covered right after that, were things that I learned as a, as a child, really, that led me to react the way that I did when that failure happened. Those tips are really critical to see the process that I went through. So don't kind of gloss over those. Sometimes folks will kind of say, well, those don't have anything to do with public speaking. They do. Um, and I'll give you a really good example, by the way. Uh, this week, uh, I had a woman uh, that I that I met that shared with me that she had been struggling with what she said, public speaking fear. She told me that she'd been struggling her whole life. And the moment that she said that, I kind of challenged her because I told her, I knew that wasn't true. That is that that is not a true statement. And I think she was kind of a little taken back, you know, because she's, she didn't expect me to react in that in that strong of a way to her. 
But it was really important to get her to see where that fear came from. There's usually a a situation that occurs that causes that fear to increase. And sometimes it can cause it to increase pretty dramatically. And after thinking a few minutes, I, I, I kind of questioned her a few times until she told me, she confessed to me that when she was 15 years old, she was in a pageant, like, like a beauty pageant. And she said she totally failed during the Q&A contest, the Q&A session of the, of the, uh, the pageant. And I kind of asked her more questions. I said, what do you mean that you failed? And she didn't really have a good answer. I said, did you just go totally blank? And she said, no, 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 I didn't didn't do that. I said, did you say something wrong or embarrassing? No, I think I kind of muddled through. I probably did, you know, in retrospect, I probably did okay, right? Um, so, I, and then immediately after she started to kind of think that way, she said, but I just didn't perform very well. And so then I asked her the the really big question. I said, okay, well, what happened next? And she paused for a second. She said, well, nothing. I said, what do you mean nothing? I said, something happened. Something happened in your life as a result of that thing that that occurred. And um, and she said, well, I never did a pageant again. And I, I kind of looked at her and I said, so you quit? She said, well, yeah. So now here she was in a public speaking class 36 years later, 36 years after that happened, still thinking that she couldn't speak well in front of a group. So basically what happened was over the last 36 years, she's created a pattern in her life. Every time she starts to feel that level of uncomfortableness, she quits. And then she would mentally beat herself up for quitting. <laughs> and so, by the way, the good news is, is that she finally broke that pattern this week. She's had a, she had a, a series of really big successes at presenting in front of a group. Um, and, and so for the first time in 36 years, she's kind of broke that pattern. So she's not finished, but I think she's going she's gonna to do okay. So the reason why those first lessons that I kind of covered last week are really important is because they set the stage for making the last three kind of work. So those first four life lessons are critical to understand so that you can recognize your own pattern and then break that pattern in order to overcome the public speaking fear that you're, you're feeling. So this week, I'm going to cover those last three lessons, and these are ones that will really help you during that growth process. All right, so let's get started with... Life lesson number five, a strong work ethic overcomes a lot of the deficiencies that you could that you'll experience. Even public speaking fear and stage fright can can be overcome a lot of times by strong work ethics. It's not the only thing you need to do, but sometimes it's a good first step. So picking up with my story where I left off last week, um, Coach Dykes kept his word. I got an excellent education and I had to pay for it, most of it anyway, myself. Uh, and, but my college days, you know, from from kind of the memories that I have, this is this is I was really, really busy, you know, so my it often looked like, you know, four thirty in the morning. I was in the gym lifting weights and running. Uh, that was in season and off season as well. And then from eight to somewhere around two o'clock in the afternoon, eight a.m. to two o'clock in the afternoon, I would go to class. So since I was paying for my own school, <laughs> I took as many classes as I could every semester because the bulk of my expenses were for room and board. So if I could graduate, my goal was to graduate early so I could save myself tens of thousands of dollars in the process. Then from 2 to 3 p.m., that's when I'd head to the field house and, and watch film. 
3 p.m. to 6 p.m. was football practice during during football season. Um, in uh, in postseason or off season, a lot of times I was um, also still kind of working out and and that kind of thing as well. Uh, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., no matter what time of year it was. I was doing odd jobs. Sometimes I was doing like temporary work. Sometimes I, I I would get a part-time job and I could only work during those hours. Most of the time though, it was doing anything that I could do to uh, make a little bit of money just so I could kind of pay my bills. Then from 9 p.m. to midnight, I'd do homework and I'd study. And during the summer, I'd work full-time as and and save up as much money as I could. I'd make sure I'd pay off any credit card debt that I had. And that way, when I came back to, to school, I'd have a little bit of money kind of left over to live off of for the first few months and then keep getting part-time jobs as as best I could. So it's a it was a pretty full day every single day of my of my college career. Um, now the cool thing was is that it was a fantastic experience because um, some guys that I played with on on the football team were guys like Zach Thomas. Um, I I think I heard just in the last couple of days. I think he's going into the Hall of Fame this uh in this session uh, he was linebacker for the Miami Dolphins for most of his career he ended his career at the Dallas Cowboys here in in Dallas um Lynn Elliott he was a Super Bowl kicker for the for the Cowboys back in the the Super Bowl years in the 90s uh, Sammy Walker he's the cornerback for the Pittsburgh Steelers um I I think the the guy that kind of influenced me most though for that few years that I was that I was there on the the football team was a guy named Gary Gaines. So it, you may recognize that name if you uh, ever read the book uh, Friday Night Lights or saw the movie the Billy Bob Thornton played played the coach uh, of Odessa Permian. Coach Gaines was that coach that they were portraying, and I, I think I learned more about leadership and team building from Coach Gaines than probably from any other source in my life. Um, but my sophomore year, I applied for a scholarship with Phillips Petroleum. I'm, I'm, again, I'm working my butt off and I need any help that I can get. And the, the company offered the scholarship to juniors and seniors who specialize in a very specific degree in the oil business. And since I was already taking junior level classes in my sophomore year, they kind of bent the rules and offered one of those scholarships to me. So basically, I went to Texas Tech to play football, hoping to earn a scholarship. However, it was my work ethic and the academic part that actually led to, to the, the scholarship. So a lot of times um, when you are kind of behind the eight ball, the, if if you work hard, especially if you're doing the right things, you don't want to work hard doing things that are that are not going to help you get to the, the goal. But if you find a goal that you want to get to and then work really hard, a lot of times you'll get rewarded with, with that success. So life lesson number six, though, is that I call this success is the best revenge. <laughs> it was a, there's a quote, uh, one of my favorite motivational speakers when I was starting out, um, he was he was really famous. His name is Les Brown, and he's got this really catchy sh- saying that he does in his motivational speeches. He he says he says life is hard. He says when life knocks you down, you got to try to land on your back because if you can look up, you can get up. And it was really uh, the, during that that time I, that I so I'd um, I I had that presentation at Arco. Um, I'd gotten the scholarship, but now all of a sudden I I had hit that wall to where. Uh, the the goals that I had for myself didn't really look like they were going to take place. And so the next summer, summer of my between my uh, junior and senior year, um, I started working for a small independent company out of uh, out of uh, Denver, Colorado. 
And there was a guy, the guy that owned the company was Dave Herbally. He was the president. It was a small family owned oil company. And he hired me that summer. And I saw Dave have a tremendous freedom as a business owner. Uh, this the the experience was entirely different. The culture was entirely different from what I had experienced the previous year at at Arco because there we were selling oil properties left and right to cut costs. However, at the same time, Dave was buying oil properties left and right at garage sale prices and making a small fortune in the process. So every morning when I arrived at the office. Dave was reading something. Sometimes it was a book. Other days he was rifling through trade journals and magazines. And and since I had recently started reading myself, you know, because of that challenge I had before, I started reading uh, and I I saw that, okay, well, he's successful. He's reading too. So um, I I picked up his habit. So that summer was uh, the the first book that I read anyway was a book called Feel Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And I also read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And then uh, it was those two kind of books, they kind of got me hooked because I started noticing that there was wisdom in the in the books that we were reading. They were totally different from the stuff that school the schools were making me read. You know, the, I mean, Huckleberry Finn, uh, Huckleberry Finn, fun book to read. You know, Alice in Wonderland, fun book to read. Eh, practical skills, no, nothing. You know, there's really no value as a um, as a as a as a business person anyway. Uh, these books, though, very valuable. They were given giving me practical advice on on what to do, and that was what kind of started the process of making changes that that kind of led to reducing the the nervousness. I hadn't really gotten there yet, but it was it started the process. Um incidentally, like 3 years after that that, uh, that I I had been working with Dave in in Denver, I had graduated from college and moved back and was still I uh, I had um this was about the time that I left the oil industry. I'd come back and worked in the oil and oil industry for about a year or two and um and and the 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 economy was just in a dismal shape, especially the oil business, because uh, oil was at like $16 a barrel. And so when I went back to the office that I worked at, were at Arco, you know, because I had I still had a lot of friends there, people that I got to know pretty well. And I just wanted to kind of pop in and say hi, since I now lived, you know, two miles away from, from the office. And I popped in to look up some of my old friends. And to my surprise, only one person from the entire staff that I worked with was still there. My boss, the guy that had warned me about the downsizing, he got downsized himself. He was gone, um, and not and not getting that offer at the time to come back as as the intern the second year. That was kind of a gut punch. What had happened, however, it turned out to be a lifelong blessing because I learned things working for Dave that I never would have learned at a second year at Arco. And when those, when that downturn occurred, I would have been the first guy that got laid off. I would have gotten fired. And even if I was really good at what I did, I mean, they were basically 300 people that did what I did. And when I came back, there were like one, two, three. So the odds were really not that good that I would have been one of those one, two or three because I was still so young. So when when I overcame my, my fear of public speaking fear, though, um, career opportunities started to appear as well. So 
since I had had such a great experience with Dave's company in Denver, uh, when I graduated, I worked for a small company in West Texas. And just like with Dave's company, I learned an awful lot about business because I was reporting directly to the owner of the company. I was learning firsthand about how to run a really good company. Uh, and I could see the handwriting on the wall, though. I mean, that, like I said, the, the price of oil was really low. So I knew that sooner or later, as much as my boss liked me and as much as I kind of liked the work and everything, I, I knew that the number of contracts that we were getting, it, they were decreasing every single month. So one of my friends from, from college who lived in the same city that I lived, not too far away from me, he got a sales job right out of school. And he was he was making a really good living, even though the economy was kind of down. He was making pretty good money and and was really comfortable. And so when I told him that I wasn't sure that my boss was able to to uh, to keep me busy much longer, he suggested that I go into sales. Now this was a huge change because I had just spent years studying about the oil industry, and in addition, my only sales experience in my entire life was. You know, back when I was in, you know, first, second grade, that kind of thing, selling candy at, in elementary school. So rather than try to do this on my own, I decided to look for some help. So I met with a local leadership coach and and she assured me that if I kind of went to her leadership development class, that that it would help me make a pretty decent living, especially in sales. The only problem was was the tuition, though. At the time, it was like eight hundred and ninety five dollars. That's I calculated it out. I think that's probably somewhere around twenty two hundred dollars, maybe twenty five hundred dollars in in today's money, which was money I didn't have. I didn't have it. So my response was, "Ooh, excuse me, how much and how long?" You know. So she repeated herself and, and kind of said, "Hey, if the class is important to you, you'll find a way to come up with the time and and come up with the tuition." And I knew that I needed help, and and I was pretty sure that she could provide me with that help. So I looked her in the eye and I said, I'll, "I said I'll be there, right?" Um. So one of the things that you have to kind of really understand about the process that you go through is that things in your life are never going to change until you decide to make the change. And that moment was the time that I kind of decided to to make the change. So the class started in three weeks. I had about 300 bucks in my bank account. That was it. I mean, that's how that's how much money I had at the, at the time living paycheck to paycheck. So I had, I had just a couple of weeks to come up with the rest of the tuition. So I traveled a lot in the job that I had. And so we received like a $35 per day per diem. So to save up money, I brought sandwiches with me and on every one of the trips, you know, so I could kind of save money and and I was able to use the per diem as part of the tuition. And on the weekends, I, I worked 12 hour shifts for a temporary agency. So basically I went in and worked, you know, for whatever it was, you know, five or six bucks an hour, but I worked for 12 hours so that I could, so I could generate the income. By the end of the three weeks, I walked into the classroom with a check and presented it to the instructor. And she was she was kind of shocked. She said, uh, you know, a lot of people tell me that they're going to follow three, but very few people actually do. So um, if you if you kind of keep that in mind, it, it's important is that when you make that decision, once you make that decision to to improve, uh, the, the way is going to show itself to you. And then you have to be committed to make sure that that oper- that you don't miss out on that opportunity. So so life lesson number seven is to keep your word and you're going to gain respect from the people who matter. So that that class took about three months to complete. But really, after about the fourth class, I went, that's when I went to to my boss and and kind of quit. And he was relieved because he was just about to have to fire me anyway. And I got a I got a starter door to door sales job. 
but I made money right away. So just as an FYI, my fear of speaking to people was still there. I was still terrified and I kind of pushed through it. So how I, uh, it, it, I, and I actually made a pretty good living by pushing through it within six months. I was the top sales guy and, and I was just using the stuff that I had learned in Marianne's leadership class. So one morning, though, I came in, came into the office and the manager wasn't there. And the older owner told me that the manager had moved to Las Vegas without any notice. And so he was under the gun and and uh, he and I kind of talked and he made me the he gave me the manager's job. So I was surprised because I'd really I'd, by that point, I'd really only had like six months of sales experience, but I was this top guy. And I, you know, had my college degree and I had a little bit of experience in the, in the business world, that kind of thing. So that helped a lot. Uh, but I accepted in that very first month as a manager, I made more money in my bonus check than I had made in my entire paycheck at the oil company that I had just left. And, and so basically I called Marianne, I called this lady that taught my leadership class and, and I, I gave her the good news and I said, Hey, this stuff really works. And, and a few months later, an advertising company kind of recruited me away as a, as a salesperson for their company and my income doubled again. So basically in a little over a year, maybe my income doubled and then doubled again. And, um, and, and I had become the new company's top salesperson as well. So at the time, I got to the point where I was reading about 50 books per year, about once a week, one a week. Uh, in addition, I was also listening to audio recordings in my car. You know, they had those book, it was cassette tapes back then. That's how old I am. <laughs> but but cassette, we'd, I'd put the cassette tape in and I'd, as I would go to sales calls, I'd be listening to to uh, other stuff, you know, things that, that could kind of help me. So I had this mobile library where I was just sucking up as much information as I could. So um, the last tip here, the last, and this is the the really the, the thing that's going to be is most critical is that successful people are always adding to their education and developing those new schools. So a couple of years later, I, I began working for the woman who taught the, the leadership class. It, it helped me so much that I wanted to kind of give back and help other people as well. So it, it was in that time, though, I worked with some of the top instructors in the world. So unlike the the other instructors for the company, though, I was still reading and I was still learning from my mobile library for hours and hours every day. So when I resigned in 2000, I had already received a couple of awards for instruction. And the last year that I was there, I was I, I think that there were about 3000 uh, people that worked for the for the company. And I was ranked like number 30 out of 3000 in total revenue generated for that company. So um, interestingly, I worked for that company during the dot-com dot boom and, and bust in the late 90s. And I noticed that the same thing was happening at that company that I had noticed at Arco. The company was so big that as the market started to change, they were very slow to adapt to that change. You know, for instance, to make a single change in any one of their classes and in one of their training programs that they were leading, it took years and so I started thinking back to my time with Dave in, in Denver, and I realized that this was a fantastic opportunity because this, this was the behemoth. It was the Titanic. It couldn't turn. And a smaller company could had a could better adapt to the changing marketplace more quickly. So, so here's a, a little bonus lesson is that people or companies who can adapt quickly to the needs of their clients grow much faster than those who, who can't do that anyway. So um, that that year, I started the Leaders Institute. It was scary, and it was not all rosy. It was a tough time. Uh, it took me a while to kind of get started. 
Uh, but we, but the way that I kind of started the company is I just started identifying what needs the marketplace was experiencing. And, and I basically busted my hump to fulfill those needs, right? So uh, as, we, as we've as we grown over the years, um, we, we still make sure that the small company advantages are, are still here. So I've spent the last 20 years or so not only showing people how I overcame public speaking, but also helping them as well. So we've, in the last 20 plus years or so, we've helped over 30,000 graduates conquer their their stage fright and become better at speaking in front of a group. So so basically if you're experiencing presentation jitters jitters and you, and you want to be seen as a more professional speaker, uh, I invite you to join us, you know, come to one of our classes or they're in cities all over the world and it's a really good way to kind of speed up that process. There's no reason why you should have to go through the entire process that I just laid out for you because now we've made it a whole lot shorter. Just basically do what we're showing you how to do and you and it'll it'll shorten your learning curve pretty dramatically. All right, so thanks a lot for being a part of Fearless Presentations. We'll see you next week, y'all. Bye. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.